This week, we're discussing a topic that was suggested by our friend Matt Froze. Matt, thanks so much for suggesting it. Dungeons & Dragons was first published in 1974, but the game has changed a lot in the last four decades. There have been eight official versions, some with small incremental changes, some that fundamentally transform the feel and mechanics of the game. We discuss what we know about each version, what makes them different, and how and why the game changed this week on Dungeons and Tangents. We're recording a podcast. Okay, we're recording a podcast. And you are? I'm Robert. I am Eric. And today we have uh, a new guest on the show who may or may not be a semi-regular guest from now on. Uh, Jake Harold, would you mind telling us your name, even though I just told you your name, <laughs> and uh, a little bit about um, how you've been connected with D&D? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Jake Dangercake Harold. Uh, I've been associated with uh, Dungeons & Dragons for uh, a good five years now. Uh, I started the Nerd Alliance at Concordia University back in the uh, 2012 era. Uh, at that time, I was running about six concurrent sessions, which for you <laughs> listeners out there is too many sessions. Um, yeah, so I've been a, a pretty big enthusiast of D&D for a few years, uh, a lot of Magic the Gathering, uh-huh. uh, run some rifts here and there, uh, run a little bit of Fate Engine stuff. Oh, no way. Dresden what? Files. Mm-hmm. I don't know that. Um, yeah, it, uh, but I mean, ultimately, D&D 5th Edition has my heart. Uh, I think it's the easiest for new people to learn, and I play mm-hmm. with a lot of new people. So, uh, you know, hashtag monk style, because, you know, monks are where it's at. Uh, <laughs> running a warlock right now named Jimothy, and that's, uh, that's about all I've got. Oh, okay. That's me. Welcome. Uh, so today's topic uh, is we're going to talk about all of the different editions of D&D, just D&D. Not um, the offshoots. We'll maybe mention a couple of them, uh, almost certainly. Uh, but starting from the very beginning and going to the most recent, uh, and then just discussing them, which ones we've played, what we know about them. Um, we don't know everything. That is a fact. We recognize that we are not um, experts of really any sort on anything, at least not in the world of D&D. I don't know. Jake might be, but <laughs> Robert and I are not. Uh, so I'm just going to start by by listing off editions and years. Okay. And then we'll get into uh, talking through them. So the original version of D&D, which you asked, was it called original D&D? It was not called original D&D. Uh, it was called D&D, a game, what was it, to be played with uh, dice and pencil and paper and other things that you might have laying around. I'd I don't actually recall the, the full name, but it was a, a, a long-winded name, which isn't surprising from Gary Gygax. Um, <laughs> and that was in 1974 that the original D&D came out. Uh, in 1977, after there was quite a bit of um, interest in D&D, they essentially put out a new edition, but they they put out two at the same time. One was basic D&D, which was a revision of original D&D that was kind of a cleaned up version, easier to read. That you sent me the rules cyclopedia a couple weeks ago. That is basic D&D, the 1977 version. 
And then I found online, just laying around, the original D&D rules. And I was looking at both of them back to back. And they were, anyway, we'll get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But at the same time, as in 1977, when they released basic D&D, they released advanced D&D. And advanced, I don't know a lot about the difference between basic and advanced, but I understand that it was a more fully formed version of D&D and effectively is the true progenitor to everything we have since. Is that, is that anybody's understanding of anything? Well, I think if you look at it, you'll find things like they don't, I don't, they don't like have races and classes in basic. Right. Oh, that's right. They've got classes, and one of the classes is elf. Right. right. So... Um, and then in advance, you get things like races and classes, and it feels more, for lack of a better word, advanced. And so, um, and the reason why I asked, was it called original D&D when it came out? Because it wouldn't make sense. We, talk, we had a conversation about how that was, ba- basic wasn't original. It was basic when advanced came out. Right. It made sense to me because if there's not an advanced edition, you wouldn't call it basic. It would make no sense if you called it basic <laughs> and nothing else, right? To have an, a basic implies there's a more advanced rule set and vice versa. Right. Uh, so advanced D&D, that's the version that has the giant red statue having its jewel eyes removed. Do you remember that, that cover? So first edition, uh, PHP, Monster Manual, and the Dungeon Master's Guide. So when you say have, first edition, you mean advanced D&D. First edi- yes, first edition advanced Dungeons and Dragons have two covers each, oh. depending on which you get. Like at one time, it was re-released with a more modern, unified format for the covers. Okay. And so depending on, you, you will get the statue with the thief gouging out the ruby, yep. or you will get, uh, I think it's oh, a, a major demon. cleric, right? Uh, on, on the front versus um, I don't know that one um, there is one of my favorite pieces of artwork is the first edition original DMG cover which is the guy opening up the doors right yeah I love that piece of artwork <laughs> uh, and then it's a different piece of artwork when they re-released it okay uh, so that was 1977 just those two editions and then second edition was 12 years later, 1989, that's a massive amount of time, which, I, you know, I guess that means they were doing something right with mm-hmm. AD&D. Mm-hmm. Um, and then third edition was 2000, and shortly after third edition, it was a 3.5 in 2003, a three-year span of time. Like, I think that's the shortest span of time between editions. It is, yeah. Uh because it was, I mean, it was 11 years between second and third. And then fourth edition came out in 2008. And we'll, we'll have to talk about why fourth edition came out when it came out. Because I think there's a, there's a specific reason. Okay. Um, and maybe that's what you, you, you made a note that you want. It's wanted. not. It's not okay. Um, and then fifth edition, which is the current edition, came out in 2014. Um, and uh, Jake, you made a... Uh, a note before we started recording that uh, it was called D&D Next before it was released in their in their pre-releases uh, or their, their sort of beta testing. And during that time, uh, what they, they released it to the public in May of 2012. So two years before the actual release. 
For uh, for D&D Next, it was really fascinating to watch the progression of balancing going on um, mm-hmm. as they... You could see it definitely progress from a, a rough draft to something much more polished as 5th edition was officially released hmm. um, as they made minor mechanical tweaks, minor dice changes for different spells, uh, what have you. That would be fascinating. I haven't, I haven't seen that process for any game ever. Uh, well, video games, but not, not tabletop games. They had a disclaimer in some of their emails saying it was all proprietary and confidential. So no, I do yeah. wonder how easy it would be to get our hands on every version Which is of that. interesting because it was a completely open test. And so right. I was signed right. up for it. And it, they, they advertised it. It was on... Chris Perkins talked about it on all of the Acquisitions Incorporated That's right. Recordings. Acquisitions, like, Inc. It was the worst kept <laughs> secret. secret you could possibly have. <laughs> um... To make sure you don't tell anybody, we're going to tell everybody else before you possibly can. <laughs> exactly. So. Secret's only valuable if no one else knows. Yeah. <laughs> so then let's, let's rewind all the way back to original d and I don't think anyone here has ever played original d and I, I haven't. haven't. I haven't. Yeah. So, I, Robert, you sent me the, the rule cyclopedia, which was basic D&D, and I didn't realize that's what it was until I went out and I found that the, the original D&D rules and saw that there was a little bit of a difference. Um, it looks brutal. I mean, the original, original D&D, it, it looks brutal from the modern standpoint. Like Characters are, will die. Uh, it, it's brutal in that way, but it's also brutal in the way that it was written. Like, it's difficult to read. Gary writes a lot of run-on sentences, and he, he mm-hmm. writes as if you've already played the game, and this mm-hmm. is just like a refresher. And advanced is written basically the same way. There's just more rules, so mm. um, that's great. Right? <laughs> you're right. uh, you're gonna see that they they did a really good job polishing it up in the presentation for second edition. Which other than oh, okay. the streamlining the rules, that's I think that's the biggest contribution second edition has is it's a much more digestible format. Mm-hmm. The rules are essentially the same. You have mm-hmm. a couple editions Thacko stuff like that, but to be able to walk into it, look at that book and be able to understand what you need to do. Right. As opposed to a first edition book, which is, feels like a collection of articles out of dragon magazine, which I'm which, almost positive it is. No, I, I, it in fact was in the, the research that I've done. Original D and D was released as a, uh, this is the, this is the groundwork. And he, you know, hoped that someday it could grow. Um, but the kind of the um, the community that he was he was in with the the uh, wargaming community, they did mods all the time through magazines and newsletters of all the games that they were already playing. So he was going to do that, whether or not it got republished. And he did that. Like as soon as it started making money, he was like, "Okay, I'm going to release this strategic review, which was the early version of uh, Dragon Magazine." And so 1974, 75, uh, and 76, they were releasing issues of Strategic Review, and then they switched over to Dragon, and it was like introducing the concepts of new classes, new monsters, every, it was like every mm, three months to begin with, and then it was every month for a while. And then those got wrapped into Advanced D&D Basic, and eventually Second. I'm done. No, I'm Sorry, I, 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 I stole your thunder. I'm trying to think of, because, 
Dragon Magazine around for quite some time. Uh, um, till the early 90s. And I, 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 these are all kind of quote-unquote facts I'm playing my brain. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I misremember things all the time. I'm pretty sure Dragon Magazine was Chris Bergen's in to TSR. It was, yeah. Uh, he was the editor for Dragon Magazine, I think, when it switched to an online format. So now, I'm pretty sure he was editor before, when it was, was it? an actual published uh, a print magazine, too. I wouldn't be surprised. He's older than he looks. He looks he looks very young. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, but anyway, so... Has anybody here played BASIC? No. Me neither. Advanced is as far as I go back. Advanced? So it was first edition? Uh, yeah. Okay. Was, I don't uh, think I played Advanced. I think I played second edition. Admittedly, it was uh, one session with a pre-rolled character by my DM at that point. But That's fine. Was that your first playthrough? No, it was uh, that was after I'd been uh, with the Nerd Alliance oh, okay. for a while. Uh, but one of our more uh, esoterically minded members uh, <laughs> had found a, a copy of it at a garage sale and really wanted to try it. Um, What'd you think? It was fascinating. It was... <laughs> Uh, the the impression I have is a lot like going to like a middle school band concert and then going to a high school band concert and then going to a college and then going to an orchestra where every mm. pro- every version as we go it gets more and more polished and more smooth and everything fits together better mm-hmm. but the same fundamental components are there from the beginning yeah yeah that makes sense because uh, reading through the rule cyclopedia. It has, well, it has race and class smushed together, mm-hmm. um, but it has all the basic stats. It has the two hit and armor class concepts. Mm-hmm. It has skill check type things, Ish. kind of. I, I like from what I've read so far. I can't figure out how you do skill checks, but it's it's like essentially you get a modifier based on your uh, your attributes. Mm-hmm. But or, or sorry, your ability sc- scores. I but, just rolled d twenties. My DM told me to right, and, <laughs> and that was a lot of original D anD. d The DM was supposed to be the owner of all the rules, and the players could pretty much just show up and not do anything. Well, not not roll dice, mm-hmm. and not necessarily know anything about the rules. It was mm-hmm. I think it was explicitly written in the rules. If you're a player, you might want to write read through these rules, and, <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't that, a shared rule set. That has a a big impact on the feel, and it has a lot of repercussions that I don't think people really are, are aware of. One of them being, uh, if you're going to play a first or second edition game, and and it is kind of like you're saying, there's this almost this culture of these rules are for whoever's running the game for the DM. And it's like you're not supposed to know these rules if you're a player. Not that you don't need to worry about them. You're almost not supposed to be aware of them. Or yeah, like it's almost taboo for you to know those rules, right? It gives the fiat a different weight. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but it makes it a lot more difficult. The the you know the cost of entry for, to be a DM, you have to do a lot sure. of work to run a game. Yeah. You have to do a lot of work. You have to learn a lot. You have to know a lot. You have to keep a bunch of stuff in your head all at once. <laughs> um, and then it also means that. If you have a player who runs a game, you have this really weird dynamic because now they know all these rules that you're, they're not supposed to know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's probably where a lot of that, the rules lawyer stuff came from. Where uh, it's, okay. it's a mechanic almost based on 
ignorance in the players, and that mechanic breaks the second they get that knowledge. And yeah, yeah. There's, there's a fundamental downside to having a mechanic that depends on ignorance, ignorance of your players. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And in D20... Uh, Which started in third? Third edition. Third, okay. Uh, it was a revolutionary <clears throat> change because, first of all, there's less rules. Mm-hmm. And you can get basically the same game, but less rules. And there is an old school feel to first and second. I get that. I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not arguing against that. It's an, <laughs> it's an actual thing. I felt it. I mean, it, it is a different feel. Um, but all of a sudden, it's much more collaborative yeah. because everybody knows these rules. It's simpler, and there's an actual mechanic. There's that D20 mechanic. It's not, I have a couple hundred tables I have to cross-reference every time there's right. combat. Yeah. There's a mechanic, and that sole mechanic will resolve <clears throat> combat. Uh, there are modifiers you layer on top of it, but I don't need all these different hit tables. Yeah, that that was one of the things about original and basics when I was reading through them that was kind of mind-boggling, is that if you are a first level uh, magic user trying to hit somebody with an AC of X you go to the table and you look up what level of magic user am I? Okay I'm that level then you go over okay what AC are they? Okay they're that they're they're 17 can I hit them? This is what I have to roll on my D20 I have to get at least that if not lower or I can't remember. Like it, it's, <laughs> it feels like being in elementary school and learning your multiplication tables. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why is three insane. times three nine? Uh, because because oh. I memorized it. <laughs> right. Because math is memorization. Like. Well, mm-hmm. and it is if it's something as fundamental as you know one plus one equals two. You have to remember that basic thing. Mm-hmm. But D twenty means you don't have to remember anything. You just have to know that. The number you rolled plus whatever your modifier is for that thing is has to be higher than whatever the difficulty is, wherever the difficulty is calculated. Yeah, but I know that one plus one equals two because I know that one plus one equals two. I know, I know the value right. of one. I know the value of another one. But if I, I told you... Two. I haven't memorized the fact that one plus one equals two. No. Well, yeah. Kinda. I don't know my multiplication tables. I can still multiply. Because you have a phone. <laughs> we're gonna disagree on that one okay fair enough um but but fundamentally like you you would have to m- memorize that magic user third level against acx i have to roll y mm-hmm. you you either have to memorize that or you're sitting there looking at that uh to hit table every time you play. Well, you found that character sheet that actually had the tables on the sheet. Yeah, my right? first... Well, yeah, my first character that I ever played in, like, 1988-89 was a second edition character. We might have been playing off of first edition character sheets, though. <laughs> and at the at the bottom, it was the, the Thacko table for my particular class. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I still like I've I've read it and I've internalized it all and it just slips out of my mind once I don't have to memorize it anymore. The thing that springs to mind for me is that um, we have such a lesser dependence on tables in modern D anD D. Yeah, where I really notice when my DM takes a minute to go into the DM guide, look up a 
something in a table and it really kind of breaks that flow of the game it where does. in general if you have monsters you know are coming you just put them on an index card or take a picture and have it on your phone and have everything ready but you don't have to go digging through a table and cross-reference yeah. and i feel like i don't know it gives it uh, a much better flow and i can't imagine having yep. to look up for every single thing in a given table it makes it a lot easier too when you're running a game to make shit up Mm-hmm. Yeah, which absolutely. is actually a super important part of running a game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just watching a video by uh, Matt Mercer. Uh, do you know Matt Mercer at all? I can't say I do offhand. I, I push uh, Critical Role is is a geek and sundry show. Okay, yeah. And I push Critical Role on everybody. I, it's it's not for everyone, but mm-hmm. anyway, he's the, he's their DM, and I watched a video where he was going through what's behind his DM screen, and he's like, all of this is really just tools so you could pull shit out of your ass. Because <laughs> you're making stuff up the whole time, and you just want to have stuff that's easily accessible to make it easier for you to make stuff up. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like, okay, uh, not yesterday, uh, Sunday, this, this last Sunday, I ran a game, and we got to a point where uh, I wanted to have a random encounter. And sure, I could have come up with something off the top of my head. I probably should have. But the only thing that was springing to mind was goblins. And I was like, eh, this is boring. I don't, want, I don't want goblins. So I'm like, hold on for a second. And I stand up and I leave the room and I go grab Xanathar's guide and I flip open to the encounters. And I'm like, okay, grassland encounters. Somebody roll a D100. And I roll a D100. And we, like, the whole game stops <laughs> because I have to look something up on a table. It was... Yeah, I mean, just kind of proving your point. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> so, okay, if uh, let's see here. We've been kind of walking through the editions and then bouncing around. Mm-hmm. Uh, second edition, who has played second edition? I have. I have. Uh, again, one, one-off game, but right. that's... I played it. for a week. Mm-hmm. That was it. Maybe four sessions. And how much did you, Robert? I mean, a couple of sessions here and there. A lot of, you know, lunch table stuff in middle school. That's exactly where what Where you was don't let it get all the way through. Yep. But um, the, majority of my, the majority of my playing D&D, like really, really getting into it and playing it, is in third. But the majority of my impressions, fascination, and just... Just loving D and D comes mm-hmm. from second. Mm-hmm. The art, yes, the, uh, art the stories, was... the the campaign settings. They really second is what the monster manual. Yeah, oh my gosh, <laughs> the, the compendium. Yeah, <laughs> with the binder and that you would buy the inserts. Yeah. Second edition is what hooked me. It feels like I don't know if it's the marketing team or but something about the 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 TSR team at the time. They just finally hit their sweet spot with being able to inspire people with art and words right around second edition. All of the novels were kind of at their peak, it seems mm-hmm. like, right yep. around that time. And I was sucked in by just the art alone. I mean, I, I, in my youth, I was aspiring to be an artist of some sort, some sort of visual artist. And I ended up a computer scientist. I don't know how that... <laughs> but um, So I had posters. I had D&D posters on my wall, but I'd never played D&D. Because it was that inspiring just to see these amazing pieces of art that were from other worlds and they felt like very complete worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, so second edition, I guess I don't know what was 
new to second edition, but you were saying it's more or less just a cleaning up, making it more presentable. On the the D and D official podcast, I'm, I want to say it's Mike Morals. Yeah, uh, does this kind of walkthrough of his? Exp- I think it was his experience. Maybe he's talking to somebody named Stan, and I think in oh. the credits on the books is he's literally credited Stan exclamation point. Oh yeah, okay, I know. Um, I know that name. There's a really good episode. They talk about how second edition all came about, and they had to fight for it. They actually had to be like, we want to do a revision. We want to clean up the rules. We want to present this in a more cohesive way. And they had to kind of like really. This was after fight Gary was happen. out. Yeah, actually. So this was when uh, the Blooms were running the company. I think I have no idea. Uh, anyway, but it's matter. a really good listen <laughs> if you're interested in that. It's. Um, the official D&D podcast? Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, I, I think I listened to like a year ago. So okay. it's, it'll be, you know, a few episodes back. But it's it's very enlightening as far as like what happened, what went into it. And really, they t- they really touch on what second edition is. Like it is the rules put back together again with, you know, fundamental changes. But it's a lot of it is carry over, carried over. It's not... You know, a three five to four kind of change, where it's a completely different animal. <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's talk about three and three point five then. Okay. Three point uh, five is where I cut my teeth. What oh, uh, is? Yeah, I actually okay. started doing D and D mechanics with Neverwinter Nights, the video game. Yes. yes. I probably poured I don't know three, four, five hundred hours in. Ah, um, uh, you know what? Sorry, I'm interrupting you. I wanted to ask everybody. Not just if they'd played it, but if they had any sort of exposure to it through things like playing or like podcasts or like video games. So, sorry about I that. I don't follow. So, I did not play a lot of second edition. I didn't play any advanced D&D, but I played the Red Block, Red Box or Gold Box video games. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And those, some of them, those were based on AD&D and some of them were based on second edition. So I had exposure to AD&D, but I didn't play it. I didn't see the meat of the mechanics. Right. But I got the feel of the game anyway. Anyway, sorry. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Neverwinter Nights, um, the video game was my first exposure there. And then um, to kind of the, the lore, it was all the Forgotten Realms series. So I read pert near every book in that series. Um <laughs> Because, you know, when you're a, a dorky middle schooler and don't have a lot else going on, reading two books a day is a really good use of your time. <laughs> Robert is nodding along. Um, yeah, I, I can relate to that. Um, <laughs> I that, did not read any of them, but I was I just hated reading. The Neverwinter Nights game, to me, is the truest, most transparent representation of a D&D rule set that's ever been done. Absolutely. You can, mm-hmm. you can turn it on. You can see the roles happening. That's With true. a couple of exceptions, all of the skills and feats are right there. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you could learn to play a tabletop D&D by playing that game. And I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and interestingly, their Dungeon Maker tool was surprisingly oh, was like... It was robust. You could bring in your own assets. Like you got all these crazy modifications to it. It was based on C plus plus. If I remember correctly, like was you it? could you could uh, script it out using uh, commands. Like I, if you knew C plus plus, you could do whatever you wanted in that game. Mm-hmm. What people don't a lot of people don't understand is Number One Nights came with this campaign. It was this four act campaign. Mm-hmm. That's not the game. That was the proof of concept they put together to, to test out to prove out the tool set. The tool set is the game. The campaign they made was so good that they put it in with her. But the whole point of that game is the tool set. Right. And for a while, people were building campaigns 
in Neverwinter, well, in Neverwinter Nights engine. Mm-hmm. But it didn't really, it didn't explode like they expected it to. Well, there was a huge was there? community on Bioware, which they actually oh. they made an effort to, to maintain. I used to lock, because you could have 64 concurrent players in Neverwinter Holy Nights. Holy mm-hmm. crap. And you could actually attach, it was a very mature engine for what, for the time and what it was. I remember You could that. attach camp, some people's campaigns to others, so you could Holy go shit. from one to the other, <laughs> and each one of those could do 64 players. So you can make it feel like there was way more than 64 players. You could ban people based off their IP, based off their actual Neverwinter's licenses. It's like if they did something, oh, shit. there were, I think, three different ways to ban somebody. Wow. I mean, it was very, very robust. I spent a lot of time playing Neverwinter Nights. I loved that game. <laughs> and that was like 2002? Yeah, I, I I remember I I took a, a long lunch at my job to get it on release day. I went to the GameStop at Washington Square <laughs> Mall. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. uh, the, there's two. The one that's not there anymore. That's the one I went to. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I got back, and then I took a real lunch because I hadn't eaten yet. <laughs> and I just I read that manual like front to back. I was so excited, and I've been following oh, yeah. it uh, in computer gaming world mm. for mm-hmm. months before it came out. So like I knew the day it was going to come out. I knew I wasn't going to do anything else that day. <laughs> um, oh, I loved that game so much. What was interesting for me is I never got to use the online aspect of it, but the original missions and mm-hmm. like the original uh, story was so good that I played through it in almost every single class, and then <laughs> started building my own campaigns so that I could run through as a character, mm-hmm. um, which I feel like also kind of informed my own D&D experience, where I had all this pent-up knowledge and lore and stories from these books yeah. and all of that that then... Thankfully, when I got to college and got to experience Next, I could put all of that into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely a very different experience there as far as, like, you know, the lack of online and community made it just a, a workbench, yeah. Yeah. for lack of a better term. And that's Absolutely. that's how I experienced Neverwinter Nights as well. It was just, I treated it as a, as a one single-player game. Mm-hmm. And I ran through the whole thing, maybe not as many times, but I ran through it, like all the way through at least five or six times and then uh and then somehow out of the blue i was like wait a second i can build my own stuff and i started playing Mm -hmm. around with it and then i got distracted by something else anybody's interested in playing it's very reasonably priced on (laughs) gog.com for the complete diamond edition it's also on steam and on steam there is a remastered uh high def that's right that's right and i believe there are plans for neverwinter nights 2 isn't there uh there is one oh it's already out it came out Mm -hmm. long time yeah okay it's It's also on gog okay Mm -hmm. Is there an? I thought there was like a relatively new. There's there's a more recent MMO called Neverwinter. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Which is my my not is not as good. No. Okay, never mind. Then. <laughs> Deacon was a staggeringly good character for a character that very few people have ever heard of. <laughs> Deacon was was a little that the cobalt goober that would follow you around oh, yeah. and be a thief for you. I always played wizards, so I ran out of knock spells. I had to rely on Deacon. <laughs> I remember that. It was like he showed up in like scene two or three mm-hmm. and then followed you around until, well, for in, in my case, usually got killed pretty early on. <laughs> um, I wonder if Deacon was based on uh, Meepo. Is it a Kobo? Meepo is in Southern Citadel, which is, the, I'm pretty sure, the first published module for a third edition. Yeah, mm. yeah it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and me, so I don't, do you know Meepo at all? Can't say I do. Okay, uh, so Sunless Citadel was, like you said, 
uh, and Meepo is just a, a kobold that is like very well presented to the players as a potential tag along NPC, mm. and he's a a, a, a kobold. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently, it became like legendary that Meepo would join almost every group that <laughs> uh, that played through the, that module. So, what you you said that there were some dragon magazines. So, that- so a lot of people have different Meepo stories because everybody it ran with it differently. Mm-hmm. But in third edition, one of the great things they did is they had an, an amazing online presence at That's Wizards That's on their was. website. They did articles constantly. They would. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to get in trouble, or uh, most of all, I don't want to get me in trouble. But um, <laughs> so this anger of somebody, please understand. Um, fuck it. But um, I bought the starter kit for fifth edition, mm-hmm. and for the Lost Minds of Fandelver, oh, yeah. and there's maps and all that. And if I wanted, I wanted to have a map for players that didn't have all the stuff on it. Mm-hmm. I had to go to a third party site for the artist who drew the maps. And I bought the maps from that artist for like 20, 30 bucks for, and I downloaded that expired. So I, if I want to get them again now, I have to rebuy them. Right. Mm-hmm. In third edition, all, all that supplemental material would be for free PDF on the website. Oh, you bought our product here, have some supplemental stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It was a very strong, online community presence it was it was very engaging they had these uh like clip art i think they called it clip art critters or something where it was like little like aol style like icons yeah yeah um of different like monsters and they had themes like uh you know clerics or elves or you know goblins and they would have like 20 or 30 of these icons (laughs) more than once a month it was really cool um and it's still there. You can go onto the Wizards website and go to their yeah, third so edition archive link. Oh, okay. At least it was there a few months ago. And they've got all these articles archived. It's amazing, the stuff that they did. One of the things they used to do is they would take like a character concept from mm-hmm. first level uh, all the way to the 20th level, right? And so like you'd be able to see it progress. And they did one of them for Meepo. This, like, and I think it was like this little, I don't remember exactly what it was, but he was like this he went from like being this you know little kobold that is going to get you know just one shotted mm-hmm. to being like this epic paladin or something it was it was <laughs> awesome it was really cool because uh, everybody knew who like Meepo was and it was just they were constantly releasing this content that was super engaging but made you feel like you're part of a community and yeah. I really liked that and that was third edition so this is a yeah. good segue actually third edition they were doing that between third edition and 3.5 something happened I feel like they did a lot of that in their fight too, but well, something that happened was they got bought by Hasbro. Right. So that acquisition changed the nature of kind of what was motivating the company for a little bit there. A little bit. I mean, it's going to be like any other company. That's going to depend yeah. on the leadership at Hasbro. During a new acquisition, you're going to have, you know, there's going to be pressure to hit certain marks right. and stuff like that. Right. But, but 3.5 exists because Hasbro acquired TSR. That's the story Wizards. I heard. I went to a convention and I saw somebody speaking who may or may not have worked at Wizards when it happened <laughs> and basically said, they came in and said, we need to, we, you, you are selling a product that people buy and never rebuy. Right. Mm-hmm. How would we get them to buy it a second time? Oh, well, there's some tweaks to the rules that we wanted to make, but we couldn't justify a whole, do it. <laughs> do it and we'll sell the books again if you look at 3 to 3.5 I mean you can take it's completely compatible there are some skills that got streamlined and stuff like that but there are not fundamental changes at all to those books but is it is it is a cleanup that was worth doing <laughs> 
if, if you want to get paid for a book a second time, absolutely. Well, okay, yes. yeah. It, it is a, it's nothing close to first edition to second edition. Right, right. That that I mean that to me that's more than worth buying a book again. Right. right. It's a cleanup that is worth worth it in so much as it is better to buy three point five than three. Well, yes, because all of the all of the things that released out the majority of third edition, the lifespan is yeah. three five. Right. Oh yeah. Right. So the majority. Mm-hmm. Wizards was incredibly prolific with their materials. And with the D20 open license, Wizards not the only publishing stuff for D&D at that point. You've got Green Ronin. You've got all kinds of different publishers making uh, Wait, D&D content. In 3.5? In, in both. Oh, yeah. Well, that's because... Well, the open gaming license, they couldn't take it back. Op- but, so when did open gaming license start? Third. Third. And actually, I'm going to back up a little bit further. When did Wizards acquire TSR? Because all of this was TSR from... Before third. Right. So, original, basic, advanced, second. All of Wizards. that is TSR. Yes. All of that is TSR. Then Wizards acquires TSR because they then were going get, bankrupt. Then you get third. And then you get third. I remember specifically, um, I was a huge fan of Dragon Magazine. And Dungeon mm-hmm. Magazine, but Dragon Ma- like Yeah. I mean, that's the, that was the, the arts, the articles. I loved Dragon Magazine. My school, actually, when I was in seventh grade, they had a, a subscription. And so I'd go in every day, like, is the new one out yet? Is the wow. new one out yet? And I would just sit there and read it That's cover cool. to cover. Um, and they stopped coming out. And so they started, like, you hear stories, like, they do, like, say, oh, uh, our print, we're having trouble with the printing press. And so we weren't able to print it. We're, it's okay. You'll get it next month, right? Mm-hmm. When really, they just didn't have the money. They were going bankrupt. Right. They didn't have the money. They didn't have the money to print it, so they're making up stories. And that's Again, this is what mid, I heard. Mid-90s or so. Um, and, and then Wizard comes in and buys them, that, I think you said, like for a song. Yeah, it was, it was like in the $1 to $3 million range, which for a business that essentially established the concept of tabletop role-playing games, that's it's insane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And... I think Wizards actually lost money on the deal because they bought them for that much and then they had to deal with the debt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. Yeah. All those faulty printing presses. <laughs> <laughs> the repair costs are bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> but they turned it around. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But then shortly thereafter, they got acquired by Hasbro. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which would not have bought them if they weren't making money. Right. But they probably could have completely tanked D&D and on the magic money alone right. <laughs> been mm-hmm. a very attractive acquisition. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and it's, I think it's notable to say that, that magic is what gives wizards the autonomy to do what they want with yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And what they want to do is make the best Dungeons and Dragons they can. I would say that you can, because you can, you, I'm, I have no doubt that they're going to be able to perpetually until the end of time, spin out new magic cards. <laughs> oh, but yeah. you can only make so many editions of Monopoly. But I have been proved time and time again wrong. There's always more editions of Monopoly to make. Um, I'm, I know magic well enough to know that they are geniuses of producing new cards, new mechanics, new additions that make more and more sense and feel more balanced and more, uh, more fun to play. Like, it, it, I played... Uh, some of the very early editions of Magic it was when I started, and I've played some a little little bit recently. And the more recent stuff, I'm like, holy shit! This is they have made massive improvements. Mm-hmm. This isn't just churning out money. 
which right. is actually an improvement it, on the product. And even just looking at like Theros block, you've got mm-hmm. 11 mechanics over the course of three sets. Like <laughs> that's bonkers. And yet, even though they had three to four newly introduced mechanics per set, people it's, picked them up in no time. Right. Mm-hmm. They're um, perfectly balanced. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Just the, the game designers that work on Magic are probably some of the best game designers in the world. Absolutely. So, Eric, you've Sorry. researched this more than I have. Yes. <laughs> when does fourth come about? Well, the year is 2008. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the year is slightly less important than the atmosphere. Okay. And the atmosphere is, in 2008, everybody's got a motherfucking PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Everybody got a tabletop uh, or, or a, a, a desktop PC or a laptop. Everybody is playing video games. Nobody... Everybody's playing WoW. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> playing. I mean, it's very specific. Yeah, everybody's playing WoW. That that that. Yeah, that is. That I know. Is, I was. Oh I, I was <laughs> not. <laughs> I was not. But in that era, I played uh, other mm-hmm. role playing games. I mean, like Final Fantasy was a big thing mm-hmm. in that time period. I mean, it became a big thing in that time period. Um, I played. Uh, well, there was WoW. There was EverQuest. There was. Um, Ultima Online, mm-hmm. just all the MMOs. MMOs became a thing mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. And that colored the, the atmosphere of what a game should look like. And so, which is bizarre because tabletop role-playing games are what created uh, MUDs, the multi-user dungeons, which is what created the MMOs. And then the MMOs came back around and we get fourth edition. <laughs> um, Interestingly, I guess I feel most notably, fourth edition's combat mechanics are significantly different as far as its dependence on a grid system. Where mm-hmm. most other systems you can get by with theater of the mind, mm-hmm. but fourth edition's mechanics right. are also inextricably tied to what shape in squares does an area of effect blast have? What does a mm-hmm. cone have? And... I know for me, that's what really drove me away from 4th edition. Um, I actually own every book in it that I inherited. Oh. Um, but I have barely ever cracked it open because I, I don't have the desire to build a giant grid system <laughs> and trying to introduce players to, mm-hmm. this is the shape of a cone, is a really hard sell. <laughs> Especially in the era of 5th edition. But that being said, it's also beautifully designed as far as the depth and quantity and general quality overall of that material mm-hmm. it's uh, so i have not played it at all have you uh, i have read through the rules uh i've listened okay. to a lot of podcasts i haven't played it but I've, I've read through some of the modules and, and followed through some of the po- like and just, just trying to follow it from also trying to figure out why i didn't like it um the, and I'm, so I picked up when it came out. I picked up the PHP immediately. I was like, I'm so mm-hmm. excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started reading through it. I'm like, this, this doesn't feel right. Why doesn't it feel right? Um, and I think the the reason why is because I played D and D way before I ever played WoW. Before I ever got a computer, all mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played Final Fantasy. I played Might and Magic. Mm-hmm. I played uh, everything from Meridian Fifty Nine to. Uh, what were some of the other ones? Uh, Asheron's Call. Oh, yeah. All these, you know, WoW is amazing. WoW is the most polished online 
computer experience I've ever had in my life. Hmm. And it was the most engaging and honestly addictive experience. Mm-hmm. I hit a wall a few years ago where I just, I just can't get into it anymore. But like it was all I wanted to do with my spare time for years, <laughs> years. But WoW was the first time I ever was introduced to the concept of a tank, of oh, really? a, a healer, deep and DPS, right? For those those specific archetypes, I, w- I didn't think of it in that way until WoW. Hmm. And 4th edition made me think of D&D in that way. And I don't like that. Yeah. That's it, not how I want to think about D&D. That's not how I want to approach that experience. Mm-hmm. Forced into archetypes. Uh, I, I, D- D&D, we've talked about this before. D- for, to me, D&D is at its best when it's a mechanic that facilitates the story. Yeah. And it's at its worst when it's a story to justify a mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> you, mean, you mean George Lucas was right when he, he said that uh, special effects should facilitate the story? I, <laughs> I, I thought that's a whole different... Uh, Sorry, whole, that's a, that's a different, different nerd discussion. Yeah. <laughs> but fourth edition made me more aware of the mechanic than I was comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And it felt like the mechanic was the point. So we have a, a star up on our notes board yes. for fourth edition. Have we, we hit do. that yet? Nope. Okay, let's 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 hear what your star is. So I'm I'm pretty harsh on fourth edition. Um, and we put these I don't I don't like it. And, yeah. and I'm the first to say I don't have a lot of business not liking it because I've never played it. And I don't, I don't <laughs> like people with those kinds of opinions. Wait, oh, so you listen to it through, did, through Acquisitions, I've, Inc. I don't want to say I don't like people with those opinions. I don't want those kinds of opinions. Like I feel like you yeah, should yeah. try something and give it a shot before you start saying you don't like something. But uh, I, I just know that I don't like it. It puts me off for some reason. Uh, and I, I, I do think I've kind of I've nailed down the reason why that is. I've figured out that, you know, it... it puts me in a headspace that I don't want to associate with D&D. It puts me in a very mathematical, mechanical headspace instead of a, an experience headspace. Mm. But put, when we started writing these editions down, people who can't see, we've got them up on a whiteboard, um, <laughs> something occurred to me. I'm just looking through that. Fourth edition may be one of the biggest contributors to the success of D&D in tabletop ever. What? And it might be just a coincidence... But if you look at it, um, fourth edition is when Penny Arcade started doing the Acquisition Incorporated podcasts. That's mm-hmm. true. And those podcasts created more podcasts. Now, in fifth edition, that has exploded even more. But I don't think that that whole D&D actual play pod- podcast phenomenon would have started without them doing that. And they did that learning fourth edition. That is true. Fourth mm-hmm. edition had just come out. Wizards paid them to come in. Uh, for some nobody named Chris Perkins to walk them through, you know, how to play D and D. Right. Um, you know, it wasn't nobody. I'm just, you know, being well sarcastic. Well, he 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 was not like he is today, but yeah. he, he still had a very established career. I mean, today he runs a regular He'll never Twitch listen stream. To this, but just in case, please don't hate me, Mr. Perkins, because <laughs> I, I love you. So. <laughs> um, anyway, but if that hadn't happened, I think it'd be a very different landscape today. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. D&D is everywhere now. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like I have to hide the fact that I play D&D. I love D&D. <laughs> and that is, I still have like this little like almost like post-traumatic stress of like, you play D&D? Yeah. Why? You know? Um, don't beat but, me up, mister. Yeah, exactly. But so many people play it now and it's like, oh, cool. Right. You know? Like, um, we have literally, before this podcast, like in previous recordings, walked across the street to get a sandwich and been like, the person behind the counter says, hey, what you doing? 
uh, we're going to record a D&D podcast. And they're like, awesome. I've, I've been playing uh, fifth edition. Yeah. I love I love the Paladin class. Like, what? Wait, wait what? <laughs> <laughs> it's totally different from when I was a kid and I started playing, you know, and I love that. And as much as I don't, I, I don't think I, I admit, I don't appreciate fourth edition as much as other people do. And I'm sure people worked very hard on it. I have to admit, I think it ha- deserves a huge amount of credit for making D&D what it is today. So here's and the that's question. Why it there. Yeah. Is uh, how much of that is the mechanics and presentation of fourth edition versus an overall shift in the cultural zeitgeist, for lack of a less pretentious mm. word? <laughs> 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 uh, just as far as like we're finally out of the satanic panic of the '80s, and you know, yeah, 25, I, 30 years removed. Is it the fourth edition mechanics, or is it the? That's an excellent point because the reason why I don't like fourth is it reminds me of wow. Right, but I love mm-hmm. WoW. But WoW probably had a huge part of softening up that cultural perception of that kind of gameplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to make it way more palatable for you to to get into something like oh, it's just WoW on paper, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do my hate own math. saying that. Like the fact that I said that, I hate. You know, <laughs> um, no, it's D and D. But mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. I mean, with, without that, without the reason why I don't like it, right? Because it makes me feel like it's WoW. If I want to play WoW, I play WoW, mm-hmm. which is a amazing game yeah if wow hadn't happened people you know dnd would also probably be in a very different place right now mm-hmm. blizzard but, just made a game so addictive that uh, <laughs> it changed the entire mindset for, for a generation uh i think that was i, I don't know uh, we're getting down a tangent that you know, whatever <laughs> but, but i'm gonna say it anyway i i think that the, i think that jake's right in that time removed from the satanic panic softened culture as well as the video game industry reintroducing everybody to the concept of fantasy like they they both contributed a lot um things like the lord of the rings movies just even existing that would not like Mm -hmm. the 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 uh rankin baskin rask uh the the original lord of the rings animated series oh yes yes i can't remember uh something in baskin or the, I don't know with the that like that cell opening, yeah, <laughs> super yeah. wonky animation style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, with the, uh, in, in the there's music in the and, beginning of that one. It's not completely animated. It's what? live action shadows. Oh God, really? Isn't it? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that was this weird, obscure little cult classic, right? Mm-hmm. They showed it at my daycare. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but but it wasn't. A cultural phenomenon, mm-hmm. not like the, the Lord of the Rings movies that um, uh, Chris Columbus is that his name? No, well, who is the 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 director? Peter uh, Jackson. Peter Jackson. Derp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings that softens up our whole culture to to believe that fantasy doesn't have to be kind of poorly done nerdy larping looking fantasy mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be the the D cartoon which was passable for people who like D, but for people who didn't like D, it was like well, what is this, this is also really ridiculous. like not a damn thing to do with D, right if well yeah really, I, <laughs> I loved it but going, I, going back as an adult I was like that's not no that's right no no, no. <laughs> they have beholders but yeah. um <laughs> And it's it's to Jake's point too. Like culturally, it's it's way beyond D and D. Like if you look at uh, an excellent example is if you look at a Captain America or Fantastic Four oh, movie God, yes. mm-hmm. from the nineties. 
oh. <laughs> versus one from today. Like it's you know it's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't good back then. I, no. I'd watch them whenever they'd come on. You know, you'd catch them like on, on TBS or TNT. You know, two in the morning because they had nothing. Okay, sure. What could hurt? We'll air this, right? Right. And uh, they were terrible, but they were comic book movies, and so I watched them because you know mm-hmm. comic books. Um, and inexplicably now, uh, big big companies put billion, literally billions of dollars. I don't know if it's per year or in aggregate into things like the Marvel universe or six movies of Lord of the Rings and Hobbit. Mm-hmm. And they get it back. Right. And they get it all back. And, and Harry Potter is, is Harry Potter mm-hmm. may actually be a huge yeah, entryway to this, this kind of modern era of fantasy. And I remember like third grade, I was told by a couple parents in my class, you're going to hell because you're reading those. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And then, you know, Ten-ish years later, I'm a youth pastor who used D&D to, mm-hmm. you know, work right. with the kids. <laughs> and so it's it's a huge cultural phenomena that I feel like the question has to be asked, are the mechanics at all <laughs> driven by that opening of culture? Like, are well, there more maybe. spells be, and more spellcasting classes because society is more willing to accept the idea of magic not mm-hmm. being fundamentally evil? Hmm. Did, did, like, did the makers have to originally cut back on the references to like religious mysticism or demonic presences in the original versions relative I've, to the pantheon they have now? I've actually heard interviews or read interviews with some of the original designers, and they were like, fuck it, I don't give a shit. When, it, <laughs> when they started, when they started, they were like that. And then after the Satanic Panics started getting going, they're still just like, come on, it's a damn game. Mm-hmm. But eventually it wore down on them and they started having to pull some things. Well, we actually were having a, a very similar conversation a couple of days ago. I think a big part of this is um, information and media today. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the Satanic Panic stuff, that was very, very powerful. Because if you get that, you you, you know, your mom comes home mm-hmm. with a pamphlet and makes you sell your D and D books, mm-hmm. which may or may not have happened to me, mm-hmm. right? Well, where where is she going to fact check that in the eighties? Uh, on the there's, internet that doesn't exist. There's no other no. information. Yeah. Whereas now you've got Twitter, you've got Facebook, you've got Google. Like, oh, is this this? Is, oh no, this is ridiculous. I get I got I have two seconds of searching on Google. Right. But I know now that this is bullshit. Right? Mm-hmm. In the eighties. It's on paper. Somebody printed it out. Somebody put it on 60 Minutes. Mm -hmm. Somebody put it in a newspaper. You had very little source of information. They were all saying the same thing. Yeah. I got it from an official building. It has to be true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Interestingly, I feel like the Warlock class uh, in 5th edition, uh, to segue us into... uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) Into our next one. Uh, I've been playing a warlock of late, and there are a ton of references to greater eldritch beings, Mm -hmm. which I feel like just would not have flown in, say, 3rd edition 3.5. Or I guess 2nd edition would have been more appropriate for that comment. I think that's a different motivation, though, because that was in 1st edition. It was. And they got sued. Ooh. And that's now an open intellectual property. That's true. So there's been a shift in who owns that. Uh, and I think that's the big reason why. Interesting. And that book is a very softer collector's item. If you get it, a first edition Deities and Demigods has Cthulhu in it. Oh. And then the reprint doesn't. Because <laughs> uh, they didn't own that when they printed it out. The first, the original D&D also has 
Hobbits. Hobbits. Hobbit yeah. is a class. And shortly, so original D&D has Hobbits as a class. Basic D&D, the reissue of it, mm-hmm. does not. They're halflings. Because they, 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 they got sued. They can say halflings and not get sued. <laughs> It's a bold move to take on the, both the Lovecraft estate and the Tolkien yes, estate at the same yeah. time. <laughs> so, so to Eric's point, they didn't give a fuck. And then like, oh no, we give a little bit of a fuck. Because <laughs> we, we just lost a bunch of money. <laughs> a definite monetary value of fucks left to give. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, I think it's worthy of note as we get into 5th edition that something happened between 3rd and 4th edition. Well, something happened in third edition, and that is the open gaming license. Yes. And something happened in fourth edition, which is people hated fourth edition. And because people hated fourth edition, they either just said, you know what, I'll just play 3.5, or we got Pathfinder. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, uh, again, I don't work for Wizards. Or not again, because I haven't said it yet. I should say this. I don't work for Wizards. (laughs) A lot of speculation on my part. Uh, Again, I'm probably present as fact i don't mean to do that i apologize i give a lot of fucks i don't want to get sued so (laughs) um wizards comes up with ogl open game license the more people make content for this the more people get to play everybody wins Mm -hmm. right um and the way that that is structured it's in it's in the sdr if i remember correctly it's a full it's a PDF you can download mm-hmm. at the time. It's a full page in the PHP. Again, if I remember correctly, because I remember, I remember seeing this everywhere. And it's a lot of what looks like a lot, very legal language about how you can print this stuff. And there's, there's very specific caveats. You can, anything that's an owned IP, yeah. Big B, uh, Mordenkind, you cannot use those words. Yeah. Beholder, right? Yeah. And, but uh, the spells, so you, you will see, you, anybody can use use crushing hand as a spell mm-hmm. it's not big b's crushing hand right magic missile everybody uses magic missile everybody can use acid arrow but they can't yeah. say mouth right mm-hmm. something like that the, the stuff that is part of their you know canon they couldn't use hasbro requires them just, you just gave away like the keys to the kingdom what the hell are you doing <laughs> right? now everyone can have a kingdom <laughs> exactly i think that's a big part of the reason behind the shift the fundamental shift of rules we have to make uh, this different enough where you want to use it mm. but you don't get to use the ogl if it's too similar you're going to say screw it, i'm gonna use your content but use the ogl rule system right so fourth <laughs> closed things up again oh yeah okay. big time big time um, well, what's, what do people like? People are like, wow. Well, make a feels like that. Right? Yeah. I, I, I'm <clears throat> speculating that that's probably what happened. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, now we own it, but nobody's buying it. Well, fuck, what do we do now? I think that's <laughs> when 5th edition came. Right? right. <laughs> you you got to find a happy medium or people get to do what they want. But as a result of that, you're absolutely right. We got Pathfinder. Right. To this day, Pathfinder uses the 3.5 rules. It's a, it's a fork of that. To, to this mm-hmm. day. But. In August... They have their 2.0. They're, they're, they're uh, starting, they will be demoing Pathfinder 2.0 at Gen Con. Yeah. Which I am actually going to go to. Ooh. <laughs> I want which to go to To there. me, I think is kind of scary. Um, I, I love the idea of Pathfinder because I love the idea that to this day, every single book that you ever bought for third, all that content oh, yeah. you can still <laughs> use. So much stuff came out. Even if you pull out all the Pathfinder stuff, so much stuff came out for third and three five, really, really good stuff. Mm-hmm. There's some crap in there, but <laughs> I mean, you're gonna get that everywhere. But so yeah. much really good stuff came out. Three point five and the open gaming license was like 
the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. It's like a paradigm shift in the yeah. media. Uh, and but anybody that, can publish to it. Yeah. <laughs> so anybody can publish. So it's more like the Google Play Store in that nobody's really watching over your shoulder too much when yeah. you publish it. So eh, you should probably read some reviews. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, and I, I, I love third edition three five. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. So we are up to fifth edition now, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Do so. Oh man, where do we start? Because fifth edition is what we. I, I mean, that's what I played this weekend. That's the most recent edition you've played, Robert. Fifth edition is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like fifth edition is the most well balanced, user accessible mm-hmm. edition that I've seen. It is. It's an easy point of entry. Mm-hmm. It's very. It's, it's accessible, and, and the brilliant thing about 5th edition is that if you want to, you can port whatever you want from 1st, 2nd, or 3rd to 5th edition. More so all of that content from 3rd that I'm so in love with, I can bring it into 5th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you want to, you can bring the 4th edition stuff in there too, content-wise. You're going to have to basically do your mechanics from scratch, but yeah. you can do it. Uh, mm-hmm. if you, there's a great module with great dynamics and storyline. You, you can bring it in there. Uh, but but 5th is, it's the D&D you want it to be. <laughs> if you want it to be 1st, you can make it like 1st. If you want it to be 3rd, mm-hmm. you can make it like 3rd. If you want it to be 4th, I don't know how to help you. But, <laughs> um, it's 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 the, it can be the experience you want it to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. It it just it it feels like the most mature thing, in in more than a couple of different ways. So they went back to the open gaming license with Fifth. Did they? Well, they they have. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. You'd be right. I don't know. Didn't they? Do we do show notes? Uh, we sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look that up and and but I I thought uh, well, I I'm gonna I'm gonna back paddle how much walk it, away from that. It matters. What they did do is they created the the DMs Guild. They created but, for which you can publish your own stuff, but yes. they didn't get a cut of that. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Which I think is incredibly smart. Which is way more mm-hmm. like the Google Google Play Store. Yes. Um, they also made the um the basic rule set is effectively i think that's creative commons isn't it they've got a pre they've got a, a free free pdf on the website yeah, with all the maybe basic that's rules what it, maybe mm-hmm. that's all it is which i think is is it's even better than the third srds because the, the srds were incredibly crunchy and dense hmm. they were just like here's some data Want some data <laughs> yeah. Want some data and the free pdfs for fifth were like Hey, you want some rules that you can hand to somebody? They can learn to play the game. Here you go. Yeah, right. The you, SRD it w- was for people who already knew the game, people who who had a oh yeah. phenomenal ability to digest rules, mm-hmm. or people who <laughs> wanted to publish. Right, mm-hmm. and they needed the rule set to to use to publish against. That's what that was for. But but what we've got with fifth edition is anybody on earth, if you have access to the internet, you can download rules enough to play mm-hmm. now you can go to D&D Beyond and get enough uh, monsters spells items to mm-hmm. you could run a full campaign for a, like years with just the basic rules with f- absolutely for free not buying anything and I think it's the it's the right way to do it insofar as that 
a big thing that D&D struggled with was, do you want to play? Well, you're a nerd. Mm-hmm. Okay? And if oh. you're not a nerd, you're not going to be able to learn. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and well, well, how do I find out? Well, buy $100 worth of books. Or... Okay, no, I'm going to go play something else. Right? <laughs> or go find your nerdiest friend and ask him right. if he plays. And now mm-hmm. it's like, hey, do you want to play d I don't know. Well, hey, if you want to, here's a bunch of free stuff that you can learn and totally go with for... You can play for a year and, and you're going to feel the edges of it a little bit, but... Mm-hmm. You, by then, you will know if you want to play or not. Absolutely. Yeah. Then, you want to give us some money? Sure. We can expand that world a little bit. Here you go. Mm-hmm. And in addition to just making it easy to access the, the, the uh, rule set and the, the, uh, uh, the utilities for playing the game, they have encouraged things like critical role um, dice yes. camera actions, which mm-hmm. uh, Chris Perkins runs, and all like the hundreds of podcasts out there that do actual plays. So, if you want to know how to play D anD D, you can literally just download, go to YouTube, and you'll find somebody playing mm-hmm. through D anD D in an entertaining way that'll help you learn the rules. It feels like there's been a shift where they're no longer trying to punish you for trying to create a community around it. Yeah. They're yeah. embracing that, which I think is also brilliant. Yeah. Right? If, if, I think of it as the the, the free PDFs for 5th edition are like a, a trial mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. A, a software. And yeah. the 3rd the edition, and again, I love 3rd edition, their SRD was an API for programmers. Right? Um, yeah. 100%. Nobody's going to pull it off the shelf like, oh, cool, I'm going to give this a try, right? Like, <laughs> Easy peasy. Just yeah. Uh, I feel like we have talked quite a lot. Mm-hmm. It's possible. We do that sometimes. We do. Uh, I think it's time to wrap up okay. for this episode. It's I know okay. we could talk for a lot longer. It's okay. But it's we okay, have touched Eric. on... It's not goodbye. It's just see you later. That's okay? Right. That's true. <laughs> So what have we learned this episode? Have we learned anything? Go go play fifth edition. Oh, that that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to go go play all the other editions too. That's okay. That is something. Before we leave, we've talked about this. We want to play some other editions. Get a feel for them. Do we want to play every edition? No. Okay. That's that's <laughs> a good answer. I like that answer. Mm-hmm. I don't want to play first. I want to play second. I don't see the point in okay. playing first and second. Uh, and if I'm af- wrong, tell me, somebody who's listening or anybody that's stable, like, I'm wrong all the time, so it's okay to tell me. <laughs> After reading through the rule cyclopedia and OD&D, that just feels like punishment. I, I, I would say um, if there's, there's very distinct iterations, uh, I would say that original and basic probably fit into the same iteration. Mm-hmm. Let's pick the more polished one. First and yeah, second fit into the same iteration. That's true. Let's pick the more polished one. That's true. Three and three, five, three, five, right? Like, mm-hmm. why why make it hard? Yeah. Will we play fourth edition? If you want to run it, I'll show uh, up and eat snacks. I don't know. Well, I've, <laughs> I've never read the rules. I've never run I've read You might like a it. A little bit of uh, Probably not. Because <laughs> I am such a story-forward sort of person. I will say 4th Edition did one thing very well in my reading the rules. It made it incredibly easy to build encounters for your adventures. Mm-hmm. So you're That's not nice. agonizing over, you know, balancing things and all of that. So if you, if you want to focus on story, 
it takes care of all those mechanics for you so you can focus on the story and the mechanics feel more seamless Hmm. but in doing that it focuses on the mechanics so much that it makes it feel like that's what's important so you can make 4th edition the game you want it to be if you want to I just I don't I've never really heard somebody other than Chris Perkins do that and he's cheating he's awesome (laughs) Um, yeah if you want to do it go Uh, for it uh, yeah well We'll see. We'll it's see. available on Drive Through RPG. It is okay. Which, yeah, which is how I sent you that. To be clear, which is how I sent you the Rules Encyclopedia. That is right. Yes. And then I found OD and D for free, just floating around as a PDF on the internet, okay. and I stole it. I tried. <laughs> I tried. But I believe that one is out of print. You can. I'm pretty sure you can get it on Drive Through RPG. Probably, but I didn't. All right. Because I just looked up OD and D. And the internet said, here, have it for free. If I strongly encourage people to check out drive through RPG. It's a, <laughs> it's a phenomenal resource. They've got great stuff there. Robert likes order and making sure that people follow the law. I do. <laughs> I also, that's okay. I also like text searchable PDFs oh, okay. with uh, bookmarks and table of content. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like good stuff and I don't mind compensating people for their effort. I appreciate that as well. You fucking hooligan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hear a lot of lawful good versus chaotic neutral going on at the yep. table, <laughs> which is interesting because it's the exact opposite of my play style. When I actually play and with that, I think we'll wrap up this episode. Uh, thank you for sticking around for this extraordinarily long episode. Um, thank you, Robert. Thank you. Thank you, Jake. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Next time, we'll be discussing loopholes in the current and past editions of D and D. They're the sort of stuff that some players can and will take advantage of. As always, if you have comments or suggestions, reach out to us on Twitter at Dungeon underscore Tangent, or go to our website, dungeonsandtangents.net. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us.